Here are three levers you can pull to get more leads for your business. What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because, like it or not, we're all in sales. I'm excited to welcome Kai Davis back to the program. Kai was actually guest number four on the Side Hustle Show way back in 2013. He had an encore performance a year later in episode 59, but it's been like six years since we caught up, which is far too long. In this episode, you'll learn how to get more leads for your business. These are the hot prospects that turn into sales, that turn into profit, and there are three specific actions that when you do them consistently, you're going to find a virtuous circle of all the work you want, happy customers, and a growing bottom line. Kai's a pro at this stuff. He's been at it for years. You can find him at kaidavis.com and also over at doubleyourecommerce.com where he helps Shopify store owners get more traffic from Google. Notes and links from this episode, plus the free PDF highlight reel, are at sidehustlenation.com slash Kai. That's K-A-I. And if you're in the U.S., you can grab those notes by texting Kai Tips, all one word, to 33444. That's Kai Tips to 33444. Now, as you begin to apply Kai's tips and land those new customers, you're going to start to hear these magic words. Send me the invoice. That's when you start your 30-day free trial of our sponsor, FreshBooks, at freshbooks.com slash side hustle, and you whip yourself up a custom, branded, professional-looking invoice in just 30 seconds, and you get paid fast. This is the tool I've been using for years when I need to invoice clients or advertisers, and I want to invite you to start your 30-day free trial over at freshbooks.com slash side hustle and enter the side hustle show in the how did you hear about us section. I'll be back with my top takeaways from this chat with Kai after the interview. Ready? Let's do it. So the way I look at it, no matter the size of your service business, no matter if you're getting started tomorrow or if you got started yesterday or if you've been in business for 10 years, if you want to get more leads and you want to get more clients, there's really only three levers you could pull. The first one is you could try to find new clients. The second one is referrals. You could get referrals from your network, from your contacts, or from your existing clients to new clients in their network. And the third lever is repeat projects. And that's going to your existing clients, following up with them maybe a week, maybe a month, maybe a year after that first project and saying, hey, do you have any challenges right now? Or is it time to take a look at that thing again and see if I could help you? But no matter what stage you're in, again, you really only have these three levers you could focus on. Well, very good. That kind of simplifies things for us. And I imagine many people are in the boat of, I would love to uh, get repeat business. I would love to get referral business, but I got to build that client roster first, that customer database first. So let's talk about getting new customers. I know you're running your Shopify SEO consulting service. Like what have you found most effective over the, say the last five years, six years since we last caught up? Absolutely. So the one thing I found most effective as I'm growing a WRE Commerce, my Shopify consultancy, is this idea of the law of Raspberry Jam. And this comes from Gerald Weinberg, the author of The Secrets of Consulting. The law of Raspberry Jam is really simple, but it's profound when we start to unpack it. It goes, the wider you spread it, the thinner it gets. And I love applying this law to the marketing that we're doing. And if we want to make our marketing easy, we start looking at it and asking ourselves, well, how wide are we spreading our marketing? Are we focusing on every potential person out there? You know, my target market is small businesses, all hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of them. Or are we shrinking it down and focusing on something small and narrow and that ideally spends money? So here's a contrast that I think works. 
we could say, hey, you know, I run this Shopify consultancy. I'm working with Shopify stores and just end there. If you know any Shopify stores, please send them my way. But it's hard to market like that when it's all big and amorphous and squishy and we don't quite know who we're targeting. So if we make it thinner and just target a small niche part of our market, it makes it so much easier for our marketing to hit home and bring people in. And that might look like saying, hey, you know what? I work with Shopify stores and I specialize in helping women's fashion stores get more traffic through search engine optimization. So we're making it really narrow, really specific. And that acts as almost a focusing lens for us as we start to think about what marketing we could do to bring more people in, the more narrow and specific our target market is or the small niche we're focusing on. We could start asking ourselves, well, hey, I could run these Facebook ads or I could do this Instagram story or I could guest blog for this person. But now we could go one step further and say, well, will this help me reach my target specific market? If not, it's probably something we should sit on for a couple months or a year. But if it's clear that, hey, my market spends time reading these blogs and I want to write on these blogs so they're reading my content and it makes it easier for them to know about me, it's really simple and easy to say, okay, let's step forward, land a guest posting spot there, have a couple articles go out because we know it's going to be reaching that small niche section of the market. I never heard that before. The law of raspberry jam. I like it. It's a delicious one. <laughs> that may be step number one is the, this narrow your focus. Because there's a lot of stuff that you could do. There's a lot of customers that you could serve with your knowledge of e-commerce and SEO and online marketing. But instead saying not just e-commerce, but a sub-segment of that, Shopify store owners, and a sub-segment of that, like ideally in a specific niche or a specific industry within using the Shopify platform. Completely agreed. And again, it doesn't just apply to Shopify. I think any business out there, any service business or really anything, it's valuable to think about it through this lens, understanding who you could reach overall and who you want to reach in specific and what steps you could take to reach them where they already are. Have you ever gone down the road of positioning an offer and just finding that at the end of that road, there were no buyers? Like, oh, I know, I'm gonna, I've got this super specific service I'm going to offer and then like nobody wants it or that it turns out that audience isn't going to buy it from you dozens if not close to a hundred times it it happens all the time honestly it's easy to to believe the story you're telling yourself about hey this is going to be a success or people need this because oh i just i just feel it i just need to find those people out there but the truth is unless we're working with real market data from conversations with people in that market or articles we're reading or sources that really point out hey the specific painful problem is this it's really just a best guess or a hypothesis on our side. So whenever I'm thinking about an offering or how to market it, I'm always trying to pull in external data from conversations with people in that market or past clients or industry reports or talks at conferences just to understand how are people talking about this? What are people already spending money on to solve this? And are they even spending money on it? If they aren't, and I've gotten down that path so many times of thinking, oh, this is the perfect offer, and then the people don't actually invest money into it. It's valuable just to pull back and confirm, are they spending money on solutions like this? If not, let's find something else that people are rapidly investing in. Because if this target market isn't spending money to resolve this problem, we're not going to have that much luck marketing to them or trying to get them to buy this offer. Yeah, this is something that's come up several times. And you may have been the first to mention is kind of this software with a service model is like targeting. I think back in the day, we talked about SEM Rush as a software was like, People buy this, but then they don't necessarily know how to take action on it or what to do next. And you're like, well, I can, it's an SEO tool. I can help you with your SEO from this. 
Same thing with Shopify, hugely popular e-commerce platform, e-commerce shopping cart software. Again, rising tide, selling shovels into that gold rush type of thing. We've seen people doing similar with Asana, with you know Basecamp back in the day, lots of different options there. So I really like that idea. And you mentioned going to conferences, kind of embedding yourself in this community to be able to speak their language and understand what people are talking about, what people could use the most help with or what their common sticking points are. Completely agreed. When I'm evaluating an offer or trying to figure out how to market something, one of the first steps I take is trying to immerse myself in this problem or solution-seeking mindset as if I was a member of that audience myself. And that might look like starting out by going on Google and just doing some broad keyword searches, assuming I have this problem. I've just bought SEMrush. Turns out there's a bunch of knobs and dials and it's a pretty complex software. How the heck do I get started with this? How do I get actionable results for my business? So I'll sit down, I'll start Googling, I'll start reading a couple articles, watching a couple YouTube videos, listening to a few podcast episodes, because I really, as much as possible, want to hear how actual people out there, the people I want buying my services, are describing this problem, the challenges they're calling out. Maybe it turns out with SEM Rush, they buy it and they think the junior member on their team will be able to jump into it and get started using it, but it's kind of complex and they aren't able to. So that might get me thinking about, well, how could I offer something? Maybe it's a service, maybe it's a product like an ebook, maybe it's a consulting arrangement to go in and help up-level that junior employee so they're able to use the software better or position myself as saying, hey, you know what? I could be an external consultant who does the SEM Rush magic and just ships the report over to you so your team member could focus on more revenue-generating activities. But it all starts from zooming out and going in and trying to understand what that actual problem is and how they're describing it and calling it out. Is there a rule of thumb that you use either in your own projects or with aspiring freelancers, consultants to say, hey, I want to follow Kai's lead and target users of a specific software? Like, I don't want to be an Excel consultant. Like, it's too big. It's been there, done that. It's been out for 25 years. Like, is there stuff that you would recommend people not touch or like a sweet spot that you found really effective? Ooh, that's a, that's a good question. I don't have a perfect answer to it, but let's see what this one turns into. The first factor is target something that actually costs money. There's a bunch of software out there that costs 10 or $20 a month, but if somebody's spending that and they aren't getting any results from it, it might be an annoyance, but it's not a true pain or a problem they're experiencing. So I like targeting software that might cost somewhere between 1000 to 1500 a year. So SEMrush is 100 to 150 a month, so it breaks into that sweet spot. And with that in mind, we're targeting the software. So we've already validated, hey, it costs money. They're spending money on this. They want to get some result from it. The second idea I like to fold into this is understanding what outcome they're looking for with the software. Is it something that helps them make more money? Is it something that, if done right, could help them lose less money or spend less money? And that helps us orient ourselves to understand, okay, they're spending money on this, but what impact are they truly looking for in their business? I think it's really valuable to target software that either helps them make more money, hey, if we get our SEO dialed in right, we'll get more traffic and make more sales, or help them lose less money. Hey, if we prune the dead subscribers in our email account, you'll go from spending 500 a month to 300 a month. This will save you 2,500 bucks a year. So understanding how it really has leverage into their business to help them make more money or lose less money helps identify the right pieces of software to target or offer this service with software approach. Yeah, that's a good point. And I guess we should know here we're talking about software and some different online consulting type of gigs. But you could easily translate this 
to offline, like we did an episode on knife sharpening, where it's like every household in the country, every restaurant in the country is a potential customer for you. And it's like, hey, it's a recurring business. The knife is going to get dull again. But it's like, hey, what's the tool that you're using? It's this knife. How do we keep it sharp? Hey, you hire this guy. What's the dog poop pickup episode we did recently? I just I keep referring back to this example because I just think it was incredible, like recurring weekly customers. Hey, take care of this problem for me. Make it go away. To your point about embedding yourself in a, into these communities, you mentioned you know showing up to a conference that might not be in people's budget if you're just starting out. Any other place where you've been able to kind of be a fly on the wall for certain communities of your target customers? Absolutely. I think any type of online forum is a great spot to start in. And so in this day and age, that might look like a Facebook group or a Discord or a discourse chat room and just engaging with people and seeing how do they talk about this? How do they express pains or problems? For me, as I approach search engine optimization and think about the pains and problems people are experiencing, I'll often go into specific subreddits like a Shopify subreddit or the big SEO subreddit just to read and understand what the common topics are, what the common pain points and problems are, and how people either start asking for help. Hey, my site was doing great, but now traffic is just flatlined and there are no sales coming in. What the heck should we do here? As I start to see these problems, I could see how they're describing it, what type of tools they're using, what type of resources they've already used. Hey, we've brought in two consultants already, but they couldn't figure it out. We're burning money here. What should we be doing differently? So I strongly recommend checking out online communities and seeing how people are asking for help or offering help. Yeah, and if you can chime in on those conversations as best you can without being overly pitchy, like, hey, I have packages to, to deal with with this exact problem, click here, press hard kind of stuff, I imagine that starts to build up a little bit of a reputation in those communities. 10,000% agreed. One story comes to mind, this was four or five years ago, I was posting in a big SEO on Reddit and I responded to a couple questions and this company reached out to me and said, hey, we saw your responses, we clicked through, read some other uh, comments you left, clicked through to your website and we'd love to hire you for an SEO audit of our site. And I was like, how did this happen? This feels like magic to me. Yes, please, let's work together. And it turned into something like a mid four figure deal. And it honestly just came out of finding these online communities where I knew people experiencing these SEO problems were hanging out answering questions and just giving whatever I could, saying like, hey, don't even think about that. The quick answer is don't worry about this until year three and making sure I'm just providing valuable information and people would read, people would click through, people would get in touch with me. Is this a hour time block on your daily calendar? Like, How are you justifying or scheduling the time to do that? I think of it as being two 30-minute time blocks on a calendar, and I'll typically punt to the second one most days, so I'm only spending 30, maybe 40 minutes on this. But I'll go in, I'll read the threads that look interesting, leave a couple comments here and there, but for me in tracking this as a habit or a business activity, I aim to leave two to three comments on Reddit in interesting conversations or interesting topics every day just to get in there and keep stuff moving forward. It also helps me get new ideas into my brain around questions people are asking and helps surface new topics for me to write about in my email newsletters. So there's value from a couple different angles, potentially getting new gigs and new contacts out of it, building my connections and getting ideas for content that I could write about. Is there ever a direct call to action, like let's book a call? Or is it just putting it out there and trusting that people will, will click through to your profile to learn more if, if they want to? Good question. In some cases, rare few cases, there 
is that direct call to action. But because Reddit and subreddit communities often frown on people being over the top with self-promotion, I don't go down that path super often. So I'll often just say like, here's the answer or, hey, here's the three sentence I could dash off. I'm on mobile, but here's a link to me writing about this on my site. And so that's a nice natural way to provide some value, include a reference link essentially, and have people moving over to my site. But in some cases where it's something super specific or it's like, I can't answer this because it would be a 5,000 word comment, but it would also only be a 10 minute call. Here's my email, shoot me a note. Let's have a quick conversation and I can help you move forward with this. So in some cases, I'll include that call to action, but in most cases, there won't be a call to action or it'll only be a link back to an article I've written on the topic. Gotcha, gotcha. And then people can dive in from there. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts, and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like LLC formation, licenses and permits, getting an EIN, setting up your business bank account, bookkeeping and invoicing, insurance, logos, trademark protection, and a lot more. Taylor Brands helps you handle it all seamlessly. And to get you started, Side Hustle Show listeners get 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans when you use our link. That's taylorbrands.com slash side hustle. Taylor Brands, like a tailor for your clothes, T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A. A-N-D-S.com slash side hustle. Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor Brands. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. How about the offline stuff, all of these groups and Slack channels and LinkedIn groups and subreddits, like that all makes sense if people are talking about software. But you ever like roll up to a small business networking event in Eugene and say, all right, here I am. I'm here to exchange business cards. A few times, honestly. And I like the small business networking events or like the uh, niche business interest groups in town. But it's really more of a personal interest. Hey, this is getting me out of the house. I'm having lunch with some folks. We're having a couple conversations. And it's good from that side of things. But especially in Eugene, we're a smaller town. We have like 150,000 people. Most of the business groups are 
how to say it, like not super crispy and actionable when it comes to let's move forward or let's solve these problems. It's much more on the networking side of things. So there are some opportunities, but my personal experience has been more on going out and just engaging for the social aspect more than the rainmaking aspect. Well, that's actually good to hear because I hear from people, I'm in a rural community or I don't live in the United States. Like, how can I do this? Like, there's no borders on this stuff. We could do this from, from anywhere on the planet. And that's really exciting. One note that you have along the lines of just sourcing new leads is what you call portfolio recon. Can you tell me a little bit about how this works? Absolutely. So with portfolio reconnaissance, it's attacking a couple of the challenges that come up when it's time to find more leads. So let's say you're trying to reach people who are in your target market or are having a specific problem. It's hard, just cold to think, hey, how can I find these people? How do I know that they are having this problem or that they're in need of my services? So one of the ideas I came upon in conversation with a few colleagues was looking at other service provider portfolios and seeing, okay, who in here seems like they're an ideal client for me? Now, in this example, let's use Shopify and search engine optimization again. So it might be that you're looking for an SEO client for your Shopify consulting or freelancing. And you go on and say, well, I'm going to look at some design portfolios and see who's had new themes designed for them. And you look through there and you see, oh, hey, two or three of these sites listed in the portfolio, they look like they'd be ideal clients. They're selling the right product. It looks like they're having the issues I could help with. And then you reach out to them and say, hey, just wanted to check in. How's your SEO going? Are you looking for help with that? Is there anything I could do to help you get more traffic? The beauty in portfolio reconnaissance is we're skipping forward through a lot of the lead generation process and saying, well, I just want to go spear fishing instead of fly fishing. I want to find my ideal clients where they already are. And in a lot of cases, they're in somebody else's portfolio. When we find somebody in a portfolio like this, just listed on an online website or listed as a testimonial on the site or something similar, we know that they have a history of spending money. They've invested in this previous project. So it helps us know, okay, they're in this market. They have a history of spending money. It looks like they have a problem we could help with. Let's get in touch with them and see if we could confirm these hypotheses. That is really interesting to me. So you're looking for these complementary service providers. They're not the ones doing SEO, but maybe they're the ones doing design or Facebook ads or whatever else that this e-commerce store may need. Maybe they're a third-party fulfillment provider, whoever it is, and saying they're listing their customer testimonials or like, here's our client portfolio. These are the people we've already worked with. You, you know they're already paying money and you take a look at their site. You, you know, run it through an SEO tool or something of yours and say like, shoot, there's some opportunity here. I'm going to reach out. Do you ask the other service provider for an intro or is this like you have no relationship with them? You just Googled like Facebook ad for e-commerce agency or something and then looked at their client roster. Good question. In some cases, I will reach out to the service provider first. And that'll typically be if I already have a relationship with them or if I think, hey, this seems like a high value lead or somebody who will need some sales process around them. Let's see if I could get that introduction. Or if the provider sells the same services as me, hey, they're also an SEO provider. I'm an SEO provider. Let me reach out and see like, hey, you specialize in this area. I specialize in this different area. Are you okay with me approaching this person or giving me an intro? So it depends. But I think in some cases, it's valuable to get that introduction, but in other cases, especially if you don't sell the same service, it's good to just reach out and say, hey, you know, I wanted to reach out. It doesn't look like you have anybody helping with your SEO right now. Am I right in that? Are you looking for ways to get more traffic? Yeah, I can see this working offline as well. Maybe not 
as much with like the online portfolio type of thing, but getting in front of your customers by targeting the companies they're already doing business with. If you're doing the pet waste removal, maybe you find local house cleaning companies and say, hey, I'd like to set up some sort of strategic or referral partnership or even an affiliate relationship, basically like, hey, if you would introduce me to your people, like I would happily pay a finder's fee for that or for any deals that we end up closing. I absolutely love that. Yeah, I think that's a perfect way to approach it. And maybe you look at garden maintenance companies or people who are selling like, hey, we sell the best dog equipment in town or the best dog beds in town. Well, hey, give me a list of your best customers. I'd love to reach out to them, see if they need somebody to handle their dog poop for them and give you a cut of whatever comes out of it. It feels like a nice and natural way to find the right people to approach your market to. Yeah, that's what our our guest was doing. She would bring donuts and business cards into the veterinarian offices and say, hey, mind if I drop both of these things off for you? And they're like, yes. That's beautiful. Okay, so we've talked about the community stewardship piece. We've talked about the portfolio reconnaissance piece. Of course, after the law of strawberry jam and, you know, really narrowing your focus of who you want to help. Tell me about the expired leads strategy. This sounds like this is something for people who've been doing this kind of outreach for a while. Absolutely. So the expired lead strategy works very, very well when you've been using a lead generation service or you're a freelance designer or developer and you sign up for a site that says, hey, we're going to send you interesting you know, requests for proposals or online postings saying, hey, we need a freelancer and it's your job to respond to them. So what I love doing in those cases or coaching my clients to do is look through people that got referred to you or sent to you through these online mechanisms three or six months ago and start reaching out to them then. And the real reason behind this is when you're trying to hire a service provider or trying to get that project shipped, inside of your business, it's super crazy. It's super busy. You're getting just hammered with people getting in touch with you and saying, oh, I can help you with this. Please review my resume. And so it's really hard to make a decision as the business owner or as the decision maker at that point. So if we reach out a few months later and say, hey, saw that you were looking for help with this a few months ago, checking in, how did that go? Do you need any more help with that? It's arriving in their inbox at a time when they aren't consumed with, hey, I just need to get this shipped and done and I don't have enough time and attention to think about it. And you're able to rescue a project or come in and help with another project. If they say, ah, we did hire somebody and it took a bit of time and it's not quite what we wanted. Well, hey, do you want to have a conversation and chat about if I could help you get it to where you want it to be or help you solve another problem in your business related to this. So the expired lead strategy is a very nice way just to reach out to people who were leads in the past, check in, assess their situation and see, hey, do they have something going on that I could help with now? Yeah, there's been a few people that I've hired just like they were in the right place at the right time. You know, they sent me that note. Hey, are you still looking for somebody or have you thought about beginning to delegate this? And it's whether or not like they've found my posting through something else, but it's like, hey, they they stood out from the crowd in some meaningful way. So that's a really interesting one. Do you have any favorite sites or sources like for these types of postings or is like just trying to go big back into like a six month archive? I don't even know if that would be possible. So it could work okay on lower volume job boards or community sites. Jumping back to the community conversation from earlier, some of the local business meetups and networking opportunities I've been in in Eugene often have a, hey, we've resourced leads for you from local businesses and you could respond to them. So in those types of cases, I'll look at those databases and start reaching out to people. But in other cases, I'll use a site like folio.me, F-O-L-Y-O.me. 
And that's a referral newsletter for freelancers and agencies. So you could sign up for them. You get a list of freelance leads every day and every week from them. And so I'll often advocate signing up for a service like that, letting it wait a little bit and just let those emails age in your inbox for a couple of weeks or a month and then start reaching out to people. So you aren't competing with the other 10, 20 or 30 freelancers who are also applying to that job or for that project. Instead, you're arriving when it's a little bit of a less crazy time and it could just be that serendipitous encounter. Hey, do you still need help with this? Yeah, that's kind of interesting to say. <laughs> like, let everybody fight over the kill at the very beginning and then uh, come back a little while, see see what's going on. It's truly the lazy man's way to riches. Especially helps if you're not hungry for business, if you're trying to balance the marketing efforts with the client work that you're already doing. Or honestly, if you feel stressed because, oh, I'm getting these leads and I'm working on these other opportunities and I need to just keep everything moving forward at once. Well, no, sometimes the healthiest thing to do is drop one of the balls and realize it's made out of rubber and it'll bounce up to you again and come back to it in those opportunities a few months later. I'm curious how you're balancing the client work that you're doing with the marketing outreach, proactive stuff that we've been talking about with all of the KaiDavis.com, like freelancer facing stuff. Is there such thing as a typical day or typical week for you? Recently there is. I just completed a couple projects on personal planning with a friend and it gave me some better insight into my day and week. So a typical day, I'll block out the morning from 8.30 a.m. till noon and say, okay, this is my maker time. I just want to do deep work here. This is when I'm writing or diving into projects or doing multi-hour planning and business creation sessions. So I won't have any meetings. I'll turn off my phone. I'll quit Slack if I can and just let myself focus in on these are the things I want to move. These are the big rocks I want some progress on this week. Take a break for lunch. And then in the afternoon from say 1.30 to 4.30, I think of that as my manager time. That's when I'll have meetings. That's when I'll have conversations. That's when I'll do email. That's when I'll often be in Slack and having conversations with colleagues or clients. And I found that on the day-to-day view, just separating my time like that and saying the mornings for the maker time, the afternoons for the manager time, has given me a lot more clarity on what I'm working on and helped prevent me from just jumping between four separate things over an hour and realizing I haven't really moved any of them forward. Yeah, that's something I struggle with in spurts. Is like sometimes I'm really diligent and dedicated to that proactive, what's my top priority? I'm going to tackle that first thing. And other times it's just like, the day's half gone. Like, what do I have to show for it? So I'm always curious to hear other people's strategies on that stuff. With regards to the lead gen efforts, the marketing efforts, It sounds like this could potentially be a lot of work. And I don't know if you have like a system for tracking, oh, I commented on this subreddit thread or I sent this email to to a cold prospect or is it advisable to track that or is it even feasible or is that just like, don't even bother or like, don't try. As long as you're putting in the time to do it, you're going to be fine. I think it's really valuable to track it. And Honestly, I like the tracking from an anxiety removal side, not really the double down and get more done side. For me, tracking it and just knowing, hey, it might be 3 p.m. in the afternoon. I'm like, holy crap, what did I get done today? Just doing something simple like having a text file or a spreadsheet that you just update every day and say, hey, this is a small win I got today, or I commented on this thread and left a reply, and maybe I could turn it into an email newsletter or a blog post sometime. Just having that view day over day really helps you see, well, hey, I might not feel like I'm moving things forward, but I've done these things. I see I've made these comments. I see, oh, I followed up with this person and they want to have a meeting. So tracking those actions and the results you're getting out of those actions really helps you see that you are building a business and you are moving forward towards that outcome. When it comes to conversations with prospects or clients, 
I'm a huge fan of using a CRM just to track those conversations and leave yourself a note about who this person is and what their needs are or what the next steps are or when you need to follow up. Personally, I use Pipedrive, a popular established CRM at pipedrive.com, but it costs like 20 to 30 bucks a month. And if somebody in the audience is listening and saying, well, hey, I need to track these things or just know what I've done day to day, I can't afford the 30 bucks right now. That's, you know, my hustle money. I'd say use something free and off the shelf. I love Trello, trello trello.com. As a CRM, if you Google for Trello CRM, there's a few articles on the Trello blog that talk about how to set it up and use it as a CRM for free. So really, the tool doesn't matter 100%. What matters is you're using a tool. doesn't have to be a specific tool. So I think it's valuable just to get those tools and systems in place so you could track what you've been doing and who you're having conversations with and figure out what steps to do next. And I wrote a small article on how to get started using a CRM today, and you could check that out in the show notes, but also at kydavis.com forward slash CRM. There you go. We'll check it out, kydavis.com slash CRM. Basically a system to see where people are at in your pipeline from initial conversation to proposal to delivering the work. I think it makes a lot of sense to begin tracking that. Because you can start to see patterns over time where, okay, this email template or this outreach strategy is not having a great take rate. So maybe I need to tweak something and and see where that goes. Or like this particular channel was was a hit or this particular offer was a hit. It just like, if you can kind of start to get a little inside baseball uh, statistics on that, you probably go a long way. Completely agreed. And one thing I often see come out of using a CRM or having a client or a coaching client use a CRM is they aren't following up enough and they don't realize they're not following up enough. But once they start using a CRM and agreeing that, okay, I'm going to follow up four or five times in a conversation, maybe one follow-up email every week just to get a reply or reach the point where it's saying, oh, okay, it's not worth following up anymore. You start to get replies from people around email three or email four. But if you're just sending one email and you're like, ah, they didn't reply. They don't like me, Kai. I'm done. Well, you need to stick in it a little more. And using a CRM just helps you set that next action. You sent the first email and you say, okay, as soon as I send that email, I schedule this future activity, send a follow-up email one week from today. Next time you log into the CRM, it says, hey, it's time to send that follow-up email. So you don't need to worry about remembering it. You're able to hand it off to the software to remember for you. And you can just focus on taking those actions, sending that follow-up email, doing outreach to another person and waiting for that reply to come back. And do you have an estimate of the percentage of your business that comes from follow-up emails? Just ballpark estimate is totally fine. Oh gosh, probably 60 to 70%. It's a lot. I've always been amazed at the power of a follow-up email. Just being polite and persistent. Hey, checking in on this. Haven't talked to you in two weeks. Uh, Are you still looking to move forward? If so, here are three times for a call. Let me know what works best for you. It's nice. It's honestly putting the other person first since maybe their life got busy for a bit and they didn't get a chance to respond to that email and the weekend happened and now they can't even remember you emailed them. But when you follow up, you're saying, hey, I care about this conversation and this potential deal enough to send another email, to send a third or a fourth email. It makes people take notice. You aren't just there to send an email out and hopefully get a reply. You're there to follow up and say, helping you is truly a priority for me. Let's set up this call unless you say, hey, I don't need help anymore. I'll go away then. But until you tell me that, I want to follow up and make sure I'm giving every opportunity I can to help your business. So follow up works. Follow up will win you more business. Yeah, that's really powerful. Really important note. The reason I asked is like, I expect it to be about there. 60, 70% was probably a little bit higher than I was expecting. But that is the power of the follow-up. If Kai had given up after the first email, we're like, hey, 
they must not be interested. They don't like me. His business would be a fraction of the size that it is. So it's like, get out of your head game. Understand like you're not being annoying. You're trying to be helpful. And like you said, until somebody tells you no, you owe it to them. If you believe you can honestly help them, like to continue getting your message in front of them. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Yeah, don't take the first ignore as the as the final answer. Okay, so again, those three levers were get new customers, get referrals, and then sell more to your existing customers, basically get repeat projects. Aside from obviously delivering an awesome experience, an awesome service, Anything specific you're doing on the referral front to try and get the word of mouth spinning in your favor? Absolutely. I have a strong opinion on how to get referrals. And most people are doing it wrong by spreading that jam too thin, spreading it too wide. And the reason that comes up is they'll often ask for a referral by saying something like, hey, do you know anybody who has a business? And yeah, it's I probably do, but it's hard to answer that question. Or if they say, hey, do you know anybody who has a business and needs some SEO help? Probably, but... That's not a sticky question. It doesn't make me think, oh, I could think exactly of who I need. But if we make that question much more specific, it helps them immediately know who might be a fit. So in version one, we could say, hey, do you know any e-commerce people who need marketing help? It's really squishy. It's really soggy. But in version two, we could say, hey, do you know any Shopify store owners who sell women's fashion products who are looking to get more traffic to their store from search engine optimization? And oftentimes, boom, just by having that more specific request for who you'd like to be referred to or introduced to, we make it so much easier for that person to say, oh, wow, yeah, my wife's best friend has that e-commerce store and she was just mentioning they needed to get more traffic. Yeah, let's set up a conversation or let me introduce you to them. So if you want to get more referrals, the one thing I recommend first is paint a specific picture of who is a good referral. What industry are they in? What business size are they? What problem are they experiencing? What outcome are they looking for? And put it together so you have maybe a two to three sentence, just quick summary of, hey, the person who's my best fit is this type of person. Do you happen to know anybody like that? And that helps the referrals come forward. And it might not be an immediate snap of, hey, I know somebody who's a great fit, but we're planting the seed by giving the specific request for a referral. And over a couple of days or a week, that seed will start to sprout and that person could come back and say, hey, I thought about it and I do know somebody, in fact, two people who would be a great fit. How do I connect them with you? So make that referral ask as specific as you can. Yeah, I like it. It's so much easier for me to refer people to a service provider if I know exactly what they do and who they do it for. It's like, oh, versus a million friends. I have a digital marketing agency. It was like, well, so does everybody else. Who do you help? And and it's making, oh, you got to talk to so-and-so. Like, that's this is what they do. So thanks for sharing that. And then on the repeat business, I imagine it's kind of a fine line versus like, I hired you for a one-off project to fix a pain point of mine versus like, now you're saying I got to hire you again. I got to spend more money with you. Like, what does that look like? Or how are you framing that? Good question. I always advocate framing it in terms of an opportunity for their business. And that might look like saying, hey, I helped you with that SEO project last year and just checking in to see if you're still getting as much traffic or if you have any questions. And by the way, this new Google update came out. And if we make these two small changes to your store, it'll help you rank better. Would you like me to take care of that for you? It would be a small project, but I'd be glad to take care of it. So if we're framing the opportunity in terms of some benefit for their business or some positive change, or hey, you're spending a bunch of money on that SEM rush tool from last year, but you aren't really using it anymore and it's not helping your business. Do you want me to identify a free tool that will get you the same report or close to report that will help you answer those questions and we could save you some money? So 
if we frame our help in terms of this is how it's going to help your business, not, hey, I need some extra money. Are you hiring for a project right now? It makes it so much easier for that potential repeat client to say, oh, yeah, you know, I, I would like to trim that expense in. Maybe it'll cost me a couple hundred bucks today, but I'm going to save a hundred bucks every month for the next year or two years. That's a great return. Or it might cost me a couple hundred bucks today, but this is going to help me get more traffic to my best pages and make more sales. So whenever we think about those repeat projects or reaching out to those clients, we're framing it in terms of the outcome that they're looking for, the opportunity for their business, and why it makes sense for them. If we aren't able to answer that question of why it makes sense for them, it's probably not a good idea to be pitching them on that project. It's it's a bit too squishy still. You ever had anybody come back and say, well, since you asked, traffic is tanked, you broke our site, like something awful has happened, and you're like, oh, shoot, I didn't want to poke at that fire. A couple of times I have, and it definitely like brings the anxiety up. Everything's on fire. What are we supposed to do here? But I honestly view it as a potential opportunity to rescue the relationship. If the site is broken and we think, hey, we clicked the wrong button in the Google and now we aren't getting any more traffic, let's take a look at that. I want to figure out if this is something that we could quickly fix, something that'll take some time to fix, or, hey, turns out we're looking at the report for Google paid ads, but we stopped paid ads six months ago. So of course the traffic's gone. Let's look at the right report and see how it's changed. So When a client does express like, oh, we hired you for this thing, but the thing's now on fire, that's an opportunity for me to help them with this problem. If I can't help them with it, I'm able to give them clear instructions and recommendations of what to do next. Talk to this person, mention you have this thing, ask them what you should do next. Or I have an opportunity to help them fix this project and win a better and a stronger relationship with them by showing up and helping them solve this. And the question that would often come up here is, are you charging for this? And oftentimes, yes, I'll describe it to them, okay, we can see a problem here. We can see what the cause is. It's going to take some time to fix. This is what it will look like as a project and we'll have a negotiation over it. But there's no reason that repeat project to fix a problem can't be a paid project. I think it's entirely in the realm of possibility. You just need to have those conversations with that client and say, okay, this is what we could take care of for free and this is what will be a paid project. How would you like to move forward? Yeah. And I think that goes to aligning customer expectations. And when I was on the buying side working with an outsourced development team, it was some stuff that was like legitimately broken and they should have done differently from the outcome. Like they would fix that for free. But when I was was coming to them proactively with like new feature requests and stuff, like I had an understanding that I was going to have to open the wallet for that. Mm -hmm. What's next for you? You've got all sorts of stuff going on here. Curious what's got you excited for this year? Ooh, that's a good question. I'm excited to do more work with Shopify stores. I have a rekindled love for search engine optimization, so it's been exciting to solve gnarly search engine problems for stores on Shopify. Uh, One recent one was a merchant who said, hey, we've got 100,000 products in our store. 80,000 of them are not showing up in Google, and we don't know why. And that was just a cool problem to dive into and say, okay, what could we figure out and how could we help this move forward? So Really excited about working with more Shopify stores. I'm continuing to write my daily letters on marketing over at kydavis.com, and that's just a creative rush. And I'm going to start a more frequent email newsletters on the W e-commerce side and over the coming months ramp up to a daily cadence over there as well. So I'll be doubling the dailies. That's very impressive. I mean, I'm high on the newsletter business model, but it's a lot of creative energy to come up with something compelling to read every day. I'm impressed with what you've been able to put out. Again, kydavis.com. Check him out over there, kydavis.com slash CRM was that free CRM guide that he put together. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation 2020 edition. 
The number one tip is avoid the resistance. I strongly recommend anybody listening to this immediately go out and either buy the audiobook or print book of The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. It is such a powerful book for anybody who's an entrepreneur or doing a creative endeavor, and entrepreneurship is 100% a creative endeavor. I listened to it a couple of weeks ago, and I did not realize how firmly it kicked me in the ass to move forward until a week passed, and I was like, oh my God, I've gotten more done in this past week than I thought I got done in the past month. It is such a powerful book to help you identify the resistance inside of yourself holding you back or saying like, oh, let's not push forward or let's not try it. Strong, strong recommendation. Have you ever read or listened to The War of Art? I have not. It's been recommended by several people, and it it has not made its way onto my nightstand just yet. It's a good one. I thought it would be longer than it was, but it's something like a two and a half or a three hour audible audiobook. So I downloaded it. And in one evening, I reached the end of it and I just felt completely blown over by it. Such a powerful book. Well, that's high praise if it's transforming your, your productivity that profoundly. Truly is. Well, very cool. Avoid the resistance. Go check out The War of Art. Go check out all of Kai's stuff at kaidavis.com. Thanks so much for joining me and we'll catch up with you soon. I'm looking forward to it. Talk to you later and to everybody in the audience, have a great 2020. Having an accounting tool is a must-have for every small business owner. So making sure that you budget for that from day one. And the tool that I like the most is FreshBooks, especially if you're a service-based entrepreneur. That's Sylvia Inks, a small business financial coach, on episode 349 of the Side Hustle Show with an unscripted plug for our sponsor, FreshBooks. Let's get your bookkeeping out of the shoebox this year and into the cloud with FreshBooks award-winning invoicing and accounting software. FreshBooks has been making life easier for service entrepreneurs for the last 15 years. For example, you can automate your invoices, so all you have to do is sit back and wait for payments. You can give your accountant access to all the information they need to do your taxes, and you can accept credit card and ACH payments right on invoices so you can get paid faster. With all these efficiencies, FreshBooks is saving Side Hustle Show listeners up to 200 hours a year. What are you going to do with all that extra time? To start your 30-day free trial of FreshBooks with no credit card required, go to freshbooks.com slash side hustle and enter the Side Hustle Show in the How Did You Hear About Us section to get started today. That's freshbooks.com slash side hustle. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. All right, my top three takeaways from this call with Kai. Number one is to get specific. I know we talk about niching down a lot on this show, but I thought Kai brought forward a couple specific benefits of doing so. The first is that it becomes so much easier to laser target your ideal prospect. 
And the second is it becomes so much easier for people to send you qualified leads and referrals. One exercise that you can do is to cross-reference a broad skill or area of expertise that you might have with an interest of yours or with part of your existing network. For example, maybe you've always loved writing, but being a generic freelance writer isn't that compelling. So you can combine that love or skill of writing with your interest in backpacking, and now you've got a niched-down service that you can offer to publications in the outdoor sports space. That was takeaway number one for me. Get specific. You can always go a little bit broader later. Takeaway number two is the fortune is in the follow-up. Remember, Kai estimated 60 to 70% of his business came from the second attempt or later. Ask yourself about your own follow-up strategy, and I'm turning around and asking myself because I'm notoriously bad at this too. You don't have to be naggy or aggressive, but customers get busy. If you can stay top of mind for when they're ready to make a decision, you're going to be better off. Or you're just going to have to be happy with a business that's less than half the size that it could be. Pretty crazy stuff. Now, Kai's got his CRM software that helps with this. But for one-off stuff, I use a tool called Nudge Mail, where I can BCC on an email, like BCC two weeks at nudgemail.com, and it's going to automatically bring that message back to the top of my inbox as a reminder for me to follow up at that time. That's takeaway number two. The fortune is in the follow-up. Takeaway number three is to understand the customer's desired outcome. This was kind of a quick little soundbite, but it stood out to me as an important one. We sometimes get caught up in the service that we offer or the tech that we use or our own superior systems and processes. But this note from Kai, to understand the customer's desired outcome was a great reminder to pause all that for a second and remember the benefit the customer is really after. What are they really buying? Sure, maybe they're hiring you to help their website rank higher or to clean their house or to manage their Pinterest account, but what's the real benefit of that? If you can nail that and sell based on that, I think you're going to be in good shape. Of course, I recommend Donald Miller's Story Brand framework to help with this. There's a free worksheet that you can fill in at mystorybrand.com, but it also reminds me of a soundbite from Kai back on his last appearance in episode 59. It's something that stuck with me for six years. He said, are you selling your time or are you selling results? So think about what's the real result of working with you. Once again, notes and links from this episode, plus the free PDF highlight reel with all of Kai's top tips from the call are at sidehustlenation.com slash Kai, again, K-A-I, or I can send those right to your inbox if you text Kai tips to 33444. That's it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show, where you'll meet the Side Hustle Nation member who's earning thousands of dollars a month flipping books. I'll see you then. Hustle on.